Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Lee Lonsberry. This segment, we're going to be talking about Hurricane Dorian. And on the line, we have Joe Doherty, spokesperson for the Utah Division of Emergency Management. Mr. Doherty, sir, you on the line? Hey, it's good to hear from you. Hey, long time no talk. Uh, full disclosure, last time you and I uh, spoke was probably when I was calling you on a, with a similar question to join Doug Wright on his program. That it sounds about right. It's been In a fact, few the years. The ID on my phone says Doug Wright Show calling. Is that right? <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe we'll throw my name in there someday soon. Yeah. Uh, listen, we woke up this morning and have been tracking over the weekend the progress of this hurricane, uh, Dorian, which has uh, appeared to kind of set itself up over uh, the Bahamas. Unfortunately, we've learned of uh, five casualties. Uh, and if we're honest, due to power outages and lack of cell reception and Internet that number, I think you and I both know, is probably a bit higher. Uh, we've learned of some deaths in Florida, one related to a gentleman falling off a ladder as he was preparing his home for the incoming storm. Uh, Utah. Utah, the state, as well as Utah, the people, uh, possess a great capacity to serve others. I believe that, as you see surveys and, and studies about uh, the, the people that make up this state, we find that we rank very high in our willingness to serve others and lend a hand when we're able. Uh, that willingness and that spirit of service isn't contained merely to the population, but it also extends into uh, the state government, sir, and that's where you come in. What uh, can you tell us uh, about the state of Utah's involvement with, with Dorian, Hurricane Dorian? Yeah, well, let's start there. Uh, you know, Hurricane Dorian, as, as everyone has been witnessing, is uh, is really a terrible event. And I think that most people don't understand how grave the situation can be until you've been in something like that. And, uh, and so that's why there is a need for states to help other states through these. We, we would... You know, in our worst-case scenario, we can talk about this in a minute, but our worst-case scenario of an earthquake in Utah would be absolutely devastating for us, and we would need so much support um, from other states. And so so that's why we're we're very proud. You know, it's, it's, it's an honor, really, to be able to have state employees who are willing to go serve in another state. These are state employees that um, have done a great job in the past doing disaster work for other states, and to the point where some of them are even requested to come back, as is the case with the one, one state employee who has been sent out there right now to help with mass care. Uh, mass care is the discipline within emergency response where you are helping either with sheltering or evacuations or, um, you know, mass food preparations or organizing volunteers and so many things that you need to help when you have large numbers of people to care for. And so the one state employee who's been sent out there right now is a guy named Tyson Walker from the Utah 
Department of Human Services, and Tyson is a member of our state emergency response team, and uh, and was specifically requested by the state of Florida, hey, will you please come back and do some great work for us again? And so that's one of those one of those things where it sounds like, oh, well, Utah only sent one person out there. Um, people should understand that there is a system in place for the requests that a state makes, and then the other states can respond and say, look, here's what we can offer right now, and then you kind of go back and forth. And we can talk about that too, um, but, but right now that, that's the first asset, the first resource that we have sent is, uh, is Tyson Walker representing state government out there right now. My own curiosity, uh, you said that Mr. Walker was requested to return to Florida. I'm assuming that's after other past uh, catastrophes. Where else has Mr. Walker served? Yeah, he's actually been in Florida before with, uh, I believe it was Hurricane Irma. Uh, he was also, he had been out there doing a similar mission, um, supporting mass care, uh, with the state EOC and I think in Tallahassee and I think he ended up working elsewhere within the state as well. Um, what happens is there's an agreement among all of the states and the, and the territories of the United States called the Emergency Management Assistance Compact. And basically, it's a system of state-to-state mutual aid, just like, uh, you know, I live in Davis County. My local fire department can go respond to the neighboring fire, uh, neighboring jurisdictions fire if needed. Um, you know, we do that among the cities in Utah all the time. And EMAC, this compact, um, allows the states to do something very similar. And when you think about the resources that are needed in a disaster, sometimes those are human resources, like where you just need people to do jobs. Um, it might be equipment. You could uh, re- really request any resource that is needed. Um, if we needed heavy equipment or law enforcement or firefighters, any of those things could be used as a resource. And in this case, they needed uh, support with uh, mass care, and that was the one that they requested from us. But um, I can give you a sample of some of the other requests that have gone out. Sure, sure. Um, We're speaking here to, to Mr. Joe Doherty, so, who's a spokesperson for the Utah Division of Emergency Management. Uh, he's been sharing uh, with us information regarding a Utah employee who has been specifically requested to travel to, to Florida in the face of this uh, Hurricane Dorian and lend his uh, assistance. The The state has been involved in, in other uh, events in the past where assistance has been needed. Uh, what are some of those, sir? Yeah, so some of the ones in the past that we, uh, we've we been involved in is in 2017, uh, twice in 2017 and twice in 2018, we sent dozens of firefighters to California to battle their really serious wildfires that were uh, just, you know, uh, just devastating for the communities there. Um, so that was the uh, you know, two years in a row where we sent lots of firefighters. In 2016, we actually sent 24 uh, troopers from the Highway Patrol to Ohio to support the Republican National Convention. What happened is people knew that was uh, that had the potential to be, uh, you know, a place where they needed extra public safety presence. And so we sent um, troopers out there just to provide extra security on the roads. Um, we've sent people from the Department of Ag and Food. We've sent people to support emergency operations centers um, in various hurricanes in the past um, as well. And so one thing that, I, like you mentioned in your open, Utah is a great state for volunteerism. Um, our, our state government is also ready, willing, and able to send people as they are requested. Now, we don't just send everything at once because that wouldn't be um, efficient use of government resources. Remember, we're all funded by taxpayers. 
And so EMACT provides that orderly system for deploying people uh, and resources to another state. You mentioned something, sir, earlier in this conversation of which I was unaware, and that is the great threat that Utah faces with the potential threat uh, of an earthquake and in an instance like that where we may need to call upon others to assist us here in, in this state. Can you talk more about that? Uh, with whom have we already spoken uh, uh, preemptively? Yeah, so, you know, Utah's worst-case scenario is a magnitude 7.0 earthquake that happens around Salt Lake City. And if you think about a cold winter day where an earthquake happens, um, it would knock out electricity. It would disrupt all of the other utilities that we depend on, uh, water and gas and wastewater um, removal, all of those things. Um, it would potentially interrupt our freeways um, and, you know, cause damage on roads, which would make travel in and out of the area really difficult. And so we would need to fly in people to help support us. One scary statistic about most disasters is that if you run a business or an organization, you expect to lose about 30% of your staff because either they are injured or their family members are injured or roads are impassable. And so you already are starting a disaster response behind the eight ball. So how do we get um, how do we get back up to speed? We bring in resources from another state. And so those are things that we expect to do here. I mean, even for me as the public information officer here, I would expect to request more PIOs to come and help help me write press releases and help me run social media and help help us get good, clean information out to the people of Utah in a disaster. So those, that's another example of something we would expect to request. And just for folks, folks' peace of mind, we're talking about earthquakes and uh, uh, big percentages of workforces being incapacitated. This is worst-case scenario. This is just planning for the absolute worst. N- nothing that you and I are saying here is indicating that we're facing this imminently. Uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're overdue for an earthquake. Uh, the last oh. major earthquake to hit it was 350 years ago, and they happen about every 350 years on the Wasatch Fault. So, I mean, we have a severe earthquake threat. Um, geologic time is a funny thing, and you never know when something will happen. But we got a big wake-up call earlier this year when we had a series of earthquakes in uh, southern uh, Salt Lake County where people realized, hey, we're an earthquake country here, so we do need to prepare for this stuff. And, and people should know, yeah, their their government, their state government is working on this all the time. We have people that are trained in how to make those requests from other states. We have people who know how to get resources to other states. Um, We're constantly looking for gaps in our performance and how can we solve those gaps. Um, We're working hard for Utah. Well, Mr. Doherty, I'm pleased that uh, you you made yourself available to speak to us today. I'm happy to hear the great work being done by this Mr. Walker down there in Florida, putting his expertise to use and keeping people safe and getting them healthy where where, where they need to be. Uh, Please, uh, if there are developments on that front, if Utah sends more folks uh please let me know we'd love to discuss it here on the program when we come back uh, we're going to be speaking uh more about this hurricane uh dorian we're going to speak to a weather expert here in the ksl family who's going to tell us about uh, why there are so many different models a european model a u.s model and uh and where we should be putting our trust and and what we can learn uh, as we face uh, this hurricane, uh, Dorian. Uh, I'm the guest host here of Inside Sources, Lee Lonsberry. We'll be right back after the break. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Lee Lonsberry. We've been talking about this Hurricane Dorian throughout the morning, along with some other issues. Uh, we're going to continue on with Hurricane Dorian discussions uh, with KSL's own Kevin Eubanks. Sir, are you on the line? You bet, Lee. How are you? I'm not too bad. Pleasure to hear from you. You know I'm going to be a dad soon? What's that? I'm going to be a dad soon? Hey, congratulations. Thank you so much. About seven weeks away. Oh, that's fantastic. I was so glad to hear you were in filling in and... Uh... It's a pleasure to talk with you. Welcome back. Thanks a lot. Uh, listen, the reason I'm bugging you is because I'm aware of rain and wind. I, I have those concepts down uh, pretty well. <laughs> Hurricane, though, that's uh, that moves into an area outside of my expertise. Uh, well, first off, t- tell us what uh, I see. All, all these predict- prediction models. I see these paths that move up the the west coast of the United States. Uh, some of them with different angles. Uh, and then I hear, you know, the talking head types describe them as either the U.S. model or the European model or whatever else have you. W- why is there a disparity? Why are folks predicting this stuff differently? Well, you got to understand that hurricanes are tricky. They're huge storms that are out in these oceans, and they impact potentially millions of lives and cost billions of dollars. And so we already heard, and I heard earlier in your broadcast, Five uh, confirmed fatalities in the Bahamas, and you're exactly right. With the lack of power and cell coverage, there will likely be more. But with the advent of computer tech and a better forecast models and better global weather forecasting, there have been a series of models that have been developed to track and forecast hurricanes. And they all kind of do something a little bit different. Uh, the two main ones that you'll hear about are the GSS and the Euro model. Uh, The GSS is the American model, and the Euro is the European model. But there are literally 12 other models, Lee, that go in and look at all different kinds of things. They're looking at the the track or the intensity or the shear or the potential storm surge. So they're all kind of refined to look at different aspects. Uh, The GSS and the Euro are what we call an ensemble model, meaning they take in a lot of different parameters, But it's kind of like if I told you, hey, listen, we're going to grab 12 of the world's experts to look at a specific topic. Wouldn't you want all 12 in the room? They're the best. They're the brightest. All of them come together and they formulate a consensus. Now, that doesn't mean they agree. It doesn't mean that they're going to be exactly the same. But it's the general consensus that we're looking for. So when you take those 10 or 12 models, you run them next to each other, you can see, hey, wait, look at that, six or seven of them track that hurricane right here. There's a couple outliers that are kind of weird. But, man, if you get the core, the bulk of those models doing similar things, you really get a high level of confidence as to where that hurricane is going. That's outstanding. Uh, and that jives, I think, with what my assumptions were. You take an average of all of the all the estimates, and you're going to find yourself uh, in pretty good standing in terms of predictions go. Uh, yeah, and, and this, this particular Dorian, the one that we're talking about now, this thing has been a monster, a Category 5 hurricane, huge storm. And when you're in a Category 5, 
They had sustained winds of 185 miles an hour with gusts of 220 miles an hour. It's one of the most intense storms that we've seen in a very long time in the Atlantic. And its movement was extremely slow. It sat over the Bahamas, although it did downgrade in its intensity down to a Category 4 and then eventually a 3. It's now a 2. But it sat over the Bahamas for almost 30 hours just lashing those islands and it's insane how big this is and it's very difficult we heard your earlier interviewer talk about it's difficult for us to even fathom a storm the entirety of our state in size uh, the entire state Logan to St. George went over all the way over to Duchesne and Burma and it's huge in size talk to us a bit about uh, what defines the different categories we know that category five is uh well is there what's the top of the scale no, yeah, it, it's kind of like we're, we're somewhat familiar with, with tornadoes, right? We've had tornadoes. We've all seen Twister, sure. That's right. So we call it a, an enhanced Fujita scale for tornadoes. And it starts with an EF0 and goes all the way up to a 5. Well, hurricanes have a similar. It's called the Saffir-Simpson scale. And again, those are, are based off of wind is the main category for uh, hurricane plots. So what we're talking about is not dust. We're talking sustained winds. So a Category 1, in order to be a hurricane, it has to have sustained winds of 74 miles an hour. And that gives it up to 95 miles an hour. And then it goes to a Category 2. And when you get up to a Category 5, Lee, the, the minimum threshold is 157 miles per hour sustained winds with catastrophic damage, incredible flooding, huge storm surges, just in the Bahamas, for example, when it was coming over as a Category 4, the storm surge in the Bahamas was 18 to 23 feet. You've been to the Bahamas, have you not? Uh, I have. Uh, in fact, uh, just last year, my, my wife and I went out uh, for a yoga retreat, and I don't want to be... I don't want to cast aspersions, but half of us were very excited to be there. Uh, <laughs> and... But I, uh, I'm a runner, and I spent I spent a lot of my time running around the island. I saw uh, what you know what, what the structures were like. I saw what the utility poles were made of. And as as I've learned about these uh, these intense winds and rains, I can't help but think what uh, what the situation is down there now. Oh yeah, and the video coming out is unreal. Neighborhoods completely inundated with water. Buildings that were obliterated, they're gone. Power poles are devastated. They have kills. And, and some would call East Coast mountains, but they do not have huge elevation changes out on those islands. They're islands. When you get a storm surge of 18 to 23 feet, it wipes out everything. And that's just the ocean surge, let alone the 5 to 15 inches of rain that can fall, coupled that with projectiles flying around at 150 to 200 mile an hour winds. Um, it, it's just until you've been in it, seen it, lived it, it's difficult to even wrap your head around a storm that that big. We're sir getting tight on time, but I do want to ask you one last thing. We we hear about these surges which lead to flooding. Much of the West Coast, uh, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas remains in a state of uh, evacuation order, uh, due in large part to to this projected flooding. What can you tell us about that? What what, uh, what occurs to to bring about such flooding? So right now, the strongest part of a hurricane is the right quadrant. So if you were looking at a map and you were to take that big circle and you were looking at the top right corner, that's the strongest part of the hurricane. So luckily, the east coast of Florida, the east coast of all the Carolinas and Georgia, 
they're not in that quadrant, which is a good place to be. But they're still, the models are still forecasting for that particular area, 5 to 15 inches of rain and storm surges that will, in essence, be anywhere from 10 to 15 feet. So the entire coastline is in risk of huge flooding and huge storm surge. So even though that, the, the hurricane plot right now doesn't have a direct hit, doesn't even have landfall, most of the models are taking it right along the coastline, never making landfall. But even with that being the case, you still have 50 to 100 miles inland from the ocean in, into the coast of damaging winds, huge rains, and the winds or the uh, storm surge can be devastating along those coastal communities. So we're talking a lot of damage and a lot of money um, uh, that's going to be hopefully they've prepared and we've moved people so we can avoid loss of life beyond what's already happened. But uh, this is going to be a big storm, and it's going to infect millions of people down over the southeast. Kevin Eubank, KSL uh, 5 weatherman extraordinaire. I'm grateful to you. Thanks for getting us up to speed, informing us, and educating us on all uh, these things. We're going to continue to pray for the folks down uh, in the Bahamas and those affected by this storm uh, in Florida, Georgia, and in the Carolinas.